Good morning, Cross Connection. It's Pastor Mark. Pastor Miles asked if I would teach for him this morning, or he takes a little uh, well-earned R&R. And this morning we're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel. It's one of my favorite books. There's a lot of action in this book, a lot of real great life lessons. And we're going to be in chapter 11. So if you want to go there in your Bibles. And so you probably noticed the background uh, behind me there. And uh, I think it kind of represents some of the things that are going on in the world. It's kind of like one big ugly dumpster fire. And so just a lot of things going on out there that just defy good sense and, and wisdom and explanation. And so um, this morning, I want to go ahead and I want to look at something I think is really important. And this is how we as believers make good decisions. Uh, we've all seen those videos of, uh, you know, somebody on YouTube and it starts with the phrase, hold my beer and they hand their beer off and then they proceed to do something that's idiotic, uh, dangerous, and they end up usually hurting themselves or others. And it seems like the world has a little bit of that hold my beer mentality to it. And, and unfortunately, I think sometimes even as believers, uh, we can do the same thing. We want to just let God, hey, hold my beer and, and we're going to take care of this, Lord, and we're going to do it the way that we want to do it. And uh, it usually has disastrous results like those videos. Um, where I look at the world's decisions and some of the things that are going on currently in the news, and I'm sure along with you, you have to look at some of these decisions and these things that we're doing around the world and, and wonder and think that, gosh, I could have done better than that and I'm not even a world leader. And what we're seeing is uh, decisions and policies and things that are being made that lack God's methods, um, God's influence and God's wisdom. And so I think the world needs Christian leadership uh, people that will avail themselves of God's wisdom and his word and his methods if we're ever going to have a solution to the perilous times that uh, the world lives in. And it has lived in, in for thousands of years. But this is the period that we're in and this is the period that we're called to influence. Um, I look at one of the things that we see in the news right now is just just the heartbreak and the disaster of what is going on right now in Afghanistan. And I don't want to be political about this because there's many people that are were part of this decision. But um, many of you probably don't know that uh, before I was a pastor, I was actually an international arms dealer. Um, yeah, I know. Kind of funny, huh? <laughs> a little, little different than what I do now. And through this company that we owned, uh, we shipped firearms all over the world, almost every part of the globe. And so I have a unique understanding of what happens in international traffic of arms and how that's regulated. And uh, when I was in that business, we would uh, get an import certificate from a country, from a customer, and we would take that import certificate and then we would fill out all the necessary paperwork. It's a form, I believe, called the DSP-83. We would send that form off to the United States government. Uh, the Department of Defense Trade Controls, and they would examine the end user and the end use and then us as a licensed arms dealer. And uh, they would give us a yes or a no. And so they would give us a yes most of the time. And then after that, okay, we would ship those particular firearms to an entity, a known entity in a foreign country and they had been investigated to make sure that those arms didn't leave that country and go to another place. And so the potential for disaster and what we're seeing, the world changing occurrences, the things that could happen 
with over 600,000 small arms alone falling into the hands of a known terrorist group, the uh, potential for those arms to end up in the wrong place and to cause harm in the world with no regulation, uh, no oversight, strictly just the highest bidder pays and gets what they want, not to mention the, the tanks and the, the over, what, I think it was 20 million rounds of ammunition and all those things out there. Um, as I look at that, the potential for that, um, it definitely causes you to look up and know that we need the Lord and we need his methods and uh, we need his wisdom and uh, we need him. And so as we go through this, we know sometimes that good people make bad decisions and they make bad dis mistakes. And so, uh, and those mistakes just don't affect uh, them, but they can affect all of us. And so if ever the time needed for the Christians to step up, make good decisions, be people, men and women of good reputation, uh, people that the world looks to for answers, I believe that the time is now, especially as I believe we're just on the cusp of God doing something, uh, pointing men's hearts towards him. I believe we're going to experience uh, a move of the Lord and that we already are experiencing a move of the Lord. So uh, join me with, if you would, we're going to pray real quick for our uh, lesson here and then uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that um, you give us all experiences and Lord um, challenges and we get through those things and we lean on you and we submit them to you, Lord, and you make us triumphant in those things. And Lord, as we see the world has many challenges, uh, many problems, many issues, Lord, and it's because so much of it is just devoid of your wisdom and your methods, Lord, uh, of your word. Lord, uh, as we study a good man, a man you love, Lord, a man that made some mistakes, if we look at that as we make, learn to make our own decisions in a godly way, Lord, uh, we pray that you'd impart this into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a little bit about our hero, David, a little background on David, the shepherd boy, and most of you know this, but he was a, a shepherd. He was on the hills. He was a very young man, uh, loved God, uh, had a heart for God, communicated with God, spent time with God, uh, singing to God, worshiping God, uh, when nobody was watching, just him and the Lord. And he was called a man after God's own heart. And so he was someone that God cared deeply about and loved deeply. He was also a man that made um, mistakes. And Lord, he was a, a man who was uh, called to much bravery. And uh, there was a time when he faced a giant and he did so um, in a way that made him famous through all Israel. And like us, uh, we tend to depend on God and we tend to rise to the occasion when we face giants in our own lives. But then also like us, uh, later on in his uh, career or his uh, being king, he suffered from something I would call affluenza. Uh, one of the greatest difficulties I think we'll ever have is um, facing giants is one thing, but facing being affluent, uh, facing being successful, facing not having big challenges is one of the toughest spiritual battles we'll ever fight because we tend to drift away from God. We tend to drift away from dependence on him. We tend to think that we have this figured out. Hold my beer, so to speak. We've got this. 
And so one of the incidents that we're going to look at here is it's the most famous one for David. And there were worse ones, actually. But uh, one of the most famous ones of David, and that was the incident with Bathsheba. And he sees Bathsheba and um, purposes in his heart to commit adultery. He goes through uh, with the act of adultery and then he covers it up or he thinks he's covered it up and then he can't really get it covered up all the way. And so then he has to result to murder. And then after murder, he thinks he has it covered up and God knows and God calls him out. And so I want to go through that with you and see some of the decisions that he made uh, that he could have done so much better and probably had such a different result. I'm also very thankful. I know we're picking on him a little bit, but I'm also very thankful that God writes these mistakes down. God allows these mistakes to be written down for you and I to learn from. And so as we go into Second uh, Samuel and we start in verse one, it says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So one of the things Bible commentators would agree on is that David was not supposed to be in the palace. He was supposed to be at war. So in your outline, uh, in your outline sheet, Am I in a place of obedience? And it's very, very important that when you're looking at a big decision, you're needing to make a decision, you need to step back a little bit and you need to look at the, your overall spiritual well-being, so to speak, and say, am I in a place of obedience where I'm, I'm fit, I'm focused to be able to make a decision like this? And for David, he clearly was not. David was off mission, so to speak. David was not in obedience to what God had called him to do. Now, if you know anything about David, it was that he was a warrior king. He was not a country club king. Uh, he was a warrior. It's, it's what brought him to fame was the slaying of the Philistine giant, Goliath, in front of all of Israel. And uh, people would sing the song, uh, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And it was a cry that the, the people of Israel wanted that warrior king, that victorious king. And so that was part of David's mission. He was to conquer uh, the nations around him. He was to defend and unite ultimately Israel uh, was part of his call. And so he was a warrior king. When people sent their sons off to battle with David, they knew that David would be there with them and that uh, God's anointed and appointed would be with their sons. And it gave them confidence in David and it gave him confidence in the outcome because they knew that the Lord would be with them in battle. And so that was part of David's mission. We also know that um, this was part of David's mission because later on as he comes to the Lord as he's more successful and he gets it in his heart to build God a temple, uh, that the Ark of the Covenant is sitting in a tent and he gets it in his heart to build God a temple, a permanent residence uh, for the Ark of the Covenant, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. But when he comes before the Lord and he thinks that's a great thing to do and everybody in the room thinks it's a great thing to do, God stops him 
and says, no, this is not your job. This is not your mission. He says that he has blood on his hands, which meant that he was a warrior. He was a killer. He was a, a general. That was his job, a big part of his reputation and his job uh, to the people in all the lands around and to the people of Israel. Our obedience affects our interior. How we view God, uh, much how we view ourselves and our position with God. Um, the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 10, and please turn there with me if you can, uh, verses 26 is pretty specific about that. And I, I thought it was very, very telling. And it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. So what does that mean? It means that our view of God is that we're going to be judged when we live in disobedience to him, when we know his word, when we taste and live in the truth, and then suddenly we, we get off track. Um, we have this guilty conscience, so to speak. And so uh, we have this expectation that we're not right with God and it colors and it taints every way we view, everything we view uh, as believers. So we get a warped view of God. We see his judgment perhaps coming. Uh, we see his rules or disobedience to his rules. And we view that as a burden rather than a blessing. And so it changes our interior. It changes our judgment. It also impairs our judgment. Um, I would equate it sometime as like driving under the influence. Um, not only is it illegal, but uh, it's wrong, right? We could hurt somebody. But it's the same thing when we're under the influence of sin, when we um, are in a lifestyle that's not pleasing to God. And it can be any one of so many things, but when we're off mission, uh, it can lead us to have uh, judgment that is just not in line with what God's word is and God's expectation for us. Um, it affects our external too. It is a refreshing and a wonderful thing to see a man or a woman walk into a room and to know that they are anointed and appointed for a task, that they are blameless before the Lord, that there is a confidence that follows them uh, when they're about God's business. And it's because the enemy has nothing on them. He can't crush them or push them or make them feel guilty because before the Lord, they are blameless through Jesus Christ, but they are conducting themselves in a way that is righteous. And it is evident to all those around them, not self-righteous, but righteous. They can see God's, people can see God's blessing on your external, uh, what you're doing and how you conduct yourselves. Uh, they say that wisdom is justified by her children. They can see the work of your hands being blessed and done by the Lord. It is an incredible example of something that is a light and an attraction to people. And there's a confidence about that. David exuded that confidence uh, when he was still a young boy. Um, there's the story of him uh, fighting off a lion uh, with a sling uh, to take care of his father's uh, sheep, the flock. And then another time when he drove away a bear a generally not a good idea with a rock and a sling, but by the confidence 
that he had because he was inspired of the Lord, that God was going to take care of him, that confidence that he walked in. He was able to get rid of the bear and get rid of the lion and ultimately, as a young man, stand before the giant that was Goliath uh, in front of all of Israel in this great showdown. God had already built that into him, that confidence that he was able to move forward because God had already worked with him in those circumstances before. So he was a confident young man. Our obedience brings glory to God. Our obedience is better than sacrifice, it says in the book of Samuel. Um, our obedience is a light to others because there's results from that obedience. Uh, Hebrews 11:16, very important verse. It talks of Abraham, uh, the patriarch, and it says this in Hebrews 11:16. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I, I kind of wonder sometimes as believers when we make poor decisions, when we damage God's reputation, so to speak, uh, when the world sees us not at our best, if uh, we call it the face and palm, if God looks at that and says, oh gosh, I wish they wouldn't, I wish they wouldn't tell somebody they're a Christian. They don't represent me at all. I know you and I know I never want to be in that position. So we want to be in a place of obedience. Let's go to verses two. It says, now, this is, David now is in, in Jerusalem, he's kicking back, he's, he's uh, kind of, you know, letting everybody else do his work for him. And uh, they say that idle hands make, or the, excuse me, and they say that idle hands are the devil's playthings, well, or the devil's tools. And uh, this seems to be the case here. It says, then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Wow. So David is not busy. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. And with his spare time on his hands, he's looking over the balcony, and he observes this other man's wife. This leads you to a question that you have to, when you go to make a decision, Am I seeking and heeding wise counsel? Now, this is in your outline. Am I seeking and heeding wise counsel? You see, this servant tried to throw the boss a bone, so to speak. The servant saw that his boss, David, was looking at another man's wife, and everybody knew who she was. This was not a, a big secret, and perhaps this isn't the first time that David was considering this, but his servant was trying to be a friend, a protector of David, a guardian, um, so to speak. And he uses that four letter, very simple word, wife, that should have been a trigger for David to know that this is another man's wife. Don't go there, David, don't do this. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. 
getting counsel before we make a decision is vital. Um, so many times we can see and think one certain way and be so sure of something, but we've never sought another opinion, so to speak, of a person that is godly. And you have to pr pick good counselors. And I think one of the great blessings in my life uh, has been that I've always had good counselors around me. I've always had people to go to uh, when I needed advice. Uh, I, I've never thought it as a failure or thought it as a failure to ask advice from somebody who knows more about the subject that I'm trying to investigate or deal with or this big decision I need to make. When it comes to things of the church, I, I call people and I ask people who are authorities and have success and have um, an experience in the uh, subject that I'm trying to tackle, the problem I'm trying to tackle. And it's always worked well to seek godly counselors who are experienced and know what they're doing. Now, how do you pick a counselor? Because there's a lot of advice out there. And particularly, I remember when we went to go start raising our children, there was so much advice out there. And, you know, as a parent, maybe you go back to some of the things that your parents did. And some of those things worked and were absolutely fantastic. And some of them maybe didn't work out that well. But you tend to lean on those things. But there's just, you know, stacks of books and websites and all sorts of things to go to. I tend to, when I go to look for a, a good counselor or something, I would go, when we were parenting, I would go to people where I actually saw they had an end product. I would meet their children and go, wow, those are great kids. They're respectful and they're normal and they're fun and they look like they have joy and they have balance. And I would ask those parents what they did with discipline and school and all those things. And I would gather that information and then pray about it and see how does that work in our lives too. Now, another way to get some really good advice is to ask people who absolutely have no idea of what they're doing. And believe me, I'm, and I you know, won't name names, but I asked some people about how to raise children um, that had horrible kids. They were hellions or misbehaved. I would never want my kids to be like them, but I asked what they did because I'd know what not to do. And so I cannot um, stress more the importance of seeking wise counsel in whatever you do and doing that with your finances, with how you raise your children, um, you know, from buying a house to all those big decisions to, to getting married, all those things, seeking wise counsel from people who have godly wisdom and seeking wise counsel from God's word. There's no substitute for that. Without a biblical method and a biblical standard, you will never get a biblically based, blessed result. It just won't happen. We think, and I'm so thankful that God's grace is mixed in there too. So it's not that we have to be perfect, but that effort, I believe that God blesses that effort um, that we put into seeking wise counsel and his God, uh, certainly uh, his word um, stresses that. Read with me in verses four uh, through five. So, David is warned that this is another man's wife and David makes a choice. This is a bad choice. It says, then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him 
And he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Well, the problem just got bigger. A question you have to ask yourself when you go to make a decision, and one of the, the things that you can run your decision through is, it's on your outline, am I in agreement with God's word? For David, this was very simple in this situation. It says, David took her and lay with her. Hold my beer. Otherwise, I know what the rules say, Lord. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. And hey, I'm just going to step out of the kingdom for a little bit because this is what I want to do. I'm going to ignore the godly wisdom that you put before me as king. I'm going to ignore the rules and the regulations and what's good for me. Hold my beer, so to speak. I'm going to go do this, whatever comes. If you spend any time in the world at all, a word at all, you'll know that there's the Ten Commandments. And um, in Exodus 20:14, it says very plainly, and David knew this, you shall not commit adultery. It's one of the basics. It's one of the big ten. Exodus 20:17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. David proceeds in this story to break all 10 commandments. If you go through and you look at every action he does through this entire story, he wasn't intending to do this. If he had sat down and he had prayed about this or just waited and brought it before the Lord and asked these things and had it come out of his mouth towards the Lord, he never would have done this, but he didn't take the time. He went ahead with what was in his heart. And the heart is the wellspring of life. Guard it with all diligence. He breaks all 10 commandments. Did he honor his mother and father? No. Did he put other things before God? Yes. Every commandment he breaks in this whole situation. And I'm sure that was not his intention. And I'm sure that is not our intention when we do these things. Our decisions made in opposition to God's word will have catastrophic results for us and for those around us. Our families, our friends, our employers. When we do things outside of God's will and God's word, it will have catastrophic results for those and for that are around us, for those that uh, we associate with, our employers, uh, our friends, and our family. God gives us his word, um, not as a set of rules to box us in. God gives us a set of rules or loving curbs. They're not fences. We can certainly climb over them, but they're these curbs to keep us on the straight and narrow uh, because they're loving and they're, they're good for us. Psalm 119, 105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The light of God's word for the Christian sheds light on the potholes and the things that we would stumble on normally. And it's there. And if we avail ourselves of it, we can save so much heartache, both for ourselves and for those around us and for the world. So read along with me in verses 6 through 13. 
So Bathsheba is pregnant, so David needs to do something. So he hatches a plan and he says, then David, in verse six, it says, then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents and my Lord Joab and his servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. It appears a couple things that I, I see here and one of them is, is that David is trying to cover his tracks. David is trying to get Uriah to go home and to be with his wife and to blame this pregnancy uh, on Uriah, so to speak, to make it look like it's Uriah's child. Um, and Uriah's not going for it. And uh, it's totally speculation on my part that, you know, I've worked a lot with people that work for other people, um, people who do manual labor, things like that. And one thing I'll know about working on boats or uh, construction sites is the guys down on the, the lower rung there many times know a lot more than you'd think. And I honestly believe in my heart that Somebody told Uriah what had happened. Uh, it's very hard for people to keep their mouths shut when it comes to injustice and wrongdoing, especially uh, by their leadership. And Uriah seems to do this very honorable act um, above the call of what he's called to. There's no regulation to not let him go home to be with his wife. But he seems to do this very heroic act. And I think there's probably a little bit more to it here. I think he knows that some, what has taken place. And so he is gonna push David to the point where uh, he is confronted with his sin. Or perhaps this is all circumstantial and he doesn't know. And God is using uh, Uriah's uh, being an honorable man to push David to get to make a decision. But what I am saying is, this does comes to a question. Am I needing to repent? and that's on your outline. David has a choice. He is uh, in a situation where he can repent. Uh, he can apologize. He can ask for forgiveness. And I think this story would have turned out much differently. David is in a position where he's trying to cover his tracks. He's trying to look good for others, so to speak, but God knows. Now, uh, there's in aviation, for those of you out there that have ever taken uh, flight classes or fly an airplane, uh, there's something called the four C's uh, of aviation. And it is something you employ and they teach you in school when you're lost or you're unsure of your surroundings. And the four C's are confess, uh, that's the problem to the tower, communicate with the tower, so let them know what the situation is, climb, they want you to climb to get out of harm's way, but also it aids in the radar being able to track you in communication. And then comply with the instructions uh, that the tower is giving you. 
And that's really good advice if it, you want to save your life and your passengers. But it's also really good advice to remember those four C's when we're in a place that we need to repent. Because to repent and act, ask for forgiveness is always a better path than to try to cover it up, uh, to try to add more trouble, to throw good money after bad, so to speak. And so confessing the problem to God and to others, the people that you need to confess it to, to communicate with God, to pour your heart out and for him to know the depths of our needing forgiveness and to be sorry, uh, to be communicating with God on that, to be straight with God, because he knows, to climb, uh, to get to a higher elevation, so to speak. Um, our attitude should match our altitude uh, many times. And so to bring the altitude, uh, bring the elevation of your uh, how you think of things and how you bring things to God, having a God's eye view of that when you're in this situation, uh, to be thinking in the spiritual plane, to be talking to heaven, so to speak, and then to comply. Right and wrong is very specific in God's word. And to be able to comply and to do specifically what you're told, to be able to mend these fences, to seek forgiveness, to make this right, uh, to pay back, uh, to whatever that is in the situation. Uh, those are things that will be something that will save your soul, so to speak, and your reputation. Anybody can make a mistake, but it's how you deal with a mistake after you've made it uh, that is very telling about your character, who you are. Let's go to verses 14 through 27. So in verse 14, um, and we see that, you know, he's tried to later on get Uriah drunk and do all kinds of things, but Uriah's not falling for it. So in verse 14, it says, in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat for him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath arises and he says to you, why did you approach so near the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jehoshaphat? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in the Bez? Died in Thebes, sorry. Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Job had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out on us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance to the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard the, that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 
Am I making a decision that will affect others? David thought he had gotten away with it, right? I mean, Uriah was gone. Um, Bathsheba's in his house. In fact, the people of Israel most likely thought he was just being a great king and he took this poor fallen soldier's pregnant wife and took her into his house and took care of her and he was a hero. It looked great, I'm sure, on the outside. Uh, but inside, David knew, and most importantly, God knew. Am I making a decision that will affect others? It's a good question to ask yourself when you go to make a, a major decision or sometimes a minor decision. Who did David's decision uh, affect? We know it affected Bathsheba. Her life was much different. It uh, was never the same. We know that it affected Uriah. He was killed uh, by a man that he loved and served and was faithful to and was betrayed. Um, the servants. The servants in the house saw all this go down and knew all about it. And they had to either keep that to themselves or let the word out. And I'm sure it affected them greatly. Uh, they were drawn in, supposedly, or they were drawn in uh, to this web of lies and to this conspiracy, so to speak. They had to, they had to keep it covered up. Joab, his general, uh, a man who trusted David and fought for David as he would for the Lord uh, with all his heart and all his might, and all of a sudden, he finds his boss is fallible. Uh, he finds out that the king has uh, done something that's horrible and that he's killed a man of honor. And now all of a sudden, that starts to sure has to breed distrust and uh, disgust for what David has done. And uh, as he goes to serve David later on, I'm sure through his head many times, he's wondering if David would do the same thing to him. So it affects Joab. The child who ends up perishing uh, as part of uh, God's judgment with David. And it affects others. If you look at David's family tree, David's family tree uh, is one of, it's horrendous. Uh, he has a son that rapes his uh, half-sister, so one of David's daughters. Uh, he has another son that kills that son to avenge that death. He has another son that ends up trying to take over uh, the kingdom later on, and then lies with David's wives in front of all of Israel as he takes over the kingdom. Uh, just, just that small part of his immediate family, the tragedy of that stems from the sexual sin and uh, the murder of Uriah the Hittite and the sexual sin with Bathsheba. It all stems from that. That curse would be on David's house for many, many years. So our decisions affect other people. I know through the months that um, the leadership of this church has had to make many decisions um, as to how we deal with the pandemic and what is healthy for our people and try to sort out what is truth from fact and uh, what is politicized from what is real and all those things. And I know as the leadership of the churches, we've marched through this and our hearts every weekend is that we so desperately wanted to open up the church. But we also prayerfully moved forward knowing that we would affect other people. Um, we're a church that is very much a part of the community. And we had to make decisions that would also be looked at as the community. And one of the first things we realized that we wanted to represent um, God is care for the sheep and his care for the people of Escondido, 
uh, that we minister to, that we're involved in. Through this whole thing, we wanted to be part of the solution. We did not want to be part of the problem. And as we minister to those on the fire department and those in the Escondido Police Department and the public sector, first responders, we wanted to make sure that we were being sensitive to the needs of the community, uh, that we were representing a godly wisdom, that we were looking at God's word, that we were looking at God's wisdom, um, that we were taking the time and not in a hurry uh, to do what we believe that God would do. And we're, I'm thankful for having a leadership team that uh, that was their attitude, not in a hurry. We could have nev negatively affected so many people in the community had we just opened the church and decided to ignore uh, the needs of our community, the people that God had given us to minister to. Does what you and I do affect others in the community? Absolutely. We have a responsibility to that. All right, as we start to wrap up and uh, we go to chapter 12. So about a year had taken place and uh, gone by and uh, God has not forgotten this. And uh, David has marched on and Bathsheba has marched on. And it says, then the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and another poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his own bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one of, for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your keeping. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For this you did secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Not good. It's a bad situation. You see, David went from thinking he got away with it to God calling him out for him to get busted. Um, his acts were going to be not only noticed by God, but they were going to be made public. 
um, an important question, and it's in your outline, when you go to make a decision, when you go to do something, am I bringing glory or dishonor to the Lord? Am I bringing glory or dishonor to the Lord? I can bring glory and honor to the Lord um, as a man, a man of God or a woman of God. I can do that in a lot of different ways. Um, there are also many ways to bring dishonor. Um, and our reputation uh, is important uh, in the community and in the world. Our reputation is important to God because God's reputation, His name is important. I can do so by my thankfulness. Um, a thankful man, uh, gosh, is so noticeable. Uh, people that give thanks for what God has done for them and for the things that haven't been given them, uh, sickness, whatever, trials, those things. But thankfulness is something that as you walk as a man or woman of God that follows us and is noticeable to people and it says so much about God because we give the glory, we give the thankfulness to our Lord, an important component of honoring God. Another one is compassion. You see, David wasn't thankful uh, at the time he committed this sin. See, God had, was going to give him so much more. But also David nails his own sin. And our sin looks so much uh, more evil and so easy to call out when it's on somebody else. And when David thinks he's talking about somebody else, he says, this man did this because he had no pity, or it's also translated, no compassion. No compassion for a fellow man. And that was David's sin. He had no compassion. He did not reflect the compassion of God. And our God is a compassionate God. He misrepresented God as a leader. He misrepresented God to the, word, to the world. My conduct, my conduct as a Christian man uh, counts for something. It's, it's important. And, or uh, your conduct as a Christian man or a woman uh, it says volumes about our Lord and our Creator. You see, ultimately, uh, the thing that God was really bummed out about, the thing that really God really upset God and that He was so guilty of is that He gave, David gave the enemies of the Lord a cause to blaspheme the name of the Lord. To say things about God because His favorite, His servant, did dishonorable things. Not just in God's culture, but in the world's culture. He had done a wrong thing. So where does that lead us as we wrap up? Know that if we've gone forward and we've messed up, we've, we've trespassed, we haven't gone through all these steps to make a decision, we've done something wrong, know one thing for sure, that there is forgiveness and there is grace uh, in Jesus Christ if He's your Lord and Savior that you can be forgiven and these things can be gone eternally. That's not to say we won't deal with real repercussions from our sin and our transgressions. So it's very important to, to put time and effort into not transgressing and not making these mistakes, not making these bad decisions. But there is eternal forgiveness and that we can go to be with our Lord and Savior. But know this, church, as we live and we go through these times and uh, we watch, and I'm sure every generation sees the catastrophe of their time and they always think that they've got it the worst or they're in the most perilous of times, but these are the times that we live in. The answer to the world's problems is Jesus Christ. Um, 
as we go into countries and we try to maybe Americanize them or change them and get them to think like we do, that's not the solution. You can spend $8 billion in 20 years and countless lives and you won't change it. But what is transforming? What is changing? What will make a difference is if that type of effort and that type of commitment is put into spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. With the gospel of Jesus Christ seeps into every corner of the world, there is no ISIS, there is no Taliban, uh, there is no terrorism. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is there, though that is aberrant to God. It is not something that the Christian would think about. The battle is not over arms and guns and things like that. This battle that we're in is a spiritual battle. And the way that we are gonna lead people uh, in the coming months, in the coming years, is for the church to put those ideas down and to move forward and know that there is one answer and for us to move forward in that one answer. And that one answer is God. There's only one way that this is gonna be fixed and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to get that good news story, that gospel story into many hearts and minds as we possibly can, doing the evangelism and the work of making disciples, that is what's gonna change the world and it's up to us to avail ourselves of the Lord, of his methods and his wisdom and his word to lead that charge. So God bless you guys. I pray that you are refreshed, encouraged, uh, and that you have direction. See you next week.